Welcome to the Compliance Time, AML and Financial Crime Podcast. Here, you can learn from compliance experts, enthusiasts and creators who are contributing to the fast-moving and dynamic field of financial compliance. Welcome to episode 1 of Compliance Time Podcast. Here are the questions of today and who our first guest is. Have you wondered how to be creative while working seriously in the financial crime prevention field? Do you know how to connect with compliance experts around the globe? Listen to this episode to find the answers. In this episode of Compliance Time Podcast, our guest is Jennifer Fortsman. Jennifer has almost two decades of experience in financial crime investigations, fraud analysis and anti-money laundering measures. Her experience has focused on residential mortgage fraud, enterprise fraud risk assessments and transnational transaction monitoring projects. Jennifer has worked with Canada's big banks and mid-sized mortgage lenders performing financial crime investigations, managing billing loan compliance teams and leading transaction monitoring projects with more than 100 investigators across Canada. Further, Jennifer has managed international fraud investigations involving everything from gold bullion to standard Canadian and US financial products, confidential corporate security investigations and extensive organized crime investigations involving the laundering of funds utilizing residential mortgages um, as a money laundering tool. Recently, Jennifer started the FinCrime Investigator YouTube channel and during the COVID pandemic created a virtual FinCrime meeting space for professionals with global attendance. Jennifer, welcome to Compliance Time Podcast. Thank you for being here. Thanks so much for having me, Denita. It's a pleasure. Um, So, with your great experience, how did you start your career in compliance? Well, uh, so I started in the early 2000s. I was in the mortgage area of an international bank and I was looking at files as an administrator. So basically I had, I had taken my gap year after university and, um, and got a job through a placement agency. I, I was probably pretty bored looking at just the files, but I came across one uh, that had an appraisal on it. So it was the person looking for the mortgage had sent in an appraisal to, um, to appraise the value of the home. And that appraisal showed that there was an illegal marijuana operation in there or a grow up. Uh, So I started working with our fraud team and many of them were ex-law enforcement. And I thought, man, this would be so cool to do for a living. Too bad there's no jobs investigating mortgage fraud. Um, But, you know, then 2000 hit, there was a mortgage crash in the U.S. And then 2007, the global financial crisis. And what happened was that really exposed a lot of fraud and money laundering that was going on through the mortgage industry. So fraud and money laundering can happen in different ways, uh, but uh, a criminal might pay a mortgage to keep it current so that they don't get caught and they can keep perpetuating their scheme. Well, when you have a financial crisis, everything sort of becomes exposed at once. So I was at the time working at a new mortgage lender and I noticed all these false documents, um, these employment documents and all these different files that had used similar formatting. So I showed my boss, we saw at the same time we started to see the mortgage payments failing and we thought, what's going on here? So um, one of the benefits for me was I had sought out a smaller company. So it allowed me to look at different areas. So I didn't just you know, look at the file and put it down and pass it on to somebody else. 
I was able to go and I learned SQL so that I could create my own fraud tracking database. And I found a trend and it led us to identifying a biker gang operation that was actually laundering funds through the properties they had purchased using our loans. So the loans are obtained using false documentation and actually this uh, forms the basis for uh, one of the first YouTube episodes. Uh, but that, that case uh, was when I got to meet local and federal law enforcement I got to interview some of the suspects uh, and I was just hooked like a, a paper file had taken life uh, and these bad guys and gals were real. They looked like you and I, um, but they were sort of sneaky entrepreneurs. They had a great business sense, uh, but it was just, you know, perhaps morally or ethically uh, wrong. But that that really uh, that was the foundation for for what inspired me to keep going in this field. Amazing. And this is the first episode of the Think Crime Investigator series, right? That's I right. already listened to it. So um, everyone who wants to get more details can find it in the first episode um, about, the, about the scheme uh, that the uh, biker gang had. Um, yes, the case of the Shady Shack. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I listened to all of the episodes on the Think Crime uh, Investigator and they're really amazing. But uh, can you tell us how, how it all started? How did you come up with the YouTube series? Yeah, sure. So I think, you know, I, I love what I do. People say, oh, you come across as very passionate. But what do you do when you want to share why you think something is so cool with people, but you find educational videos really flat and boring? So I thought this is my chance to flex my creative muscle. Um, it's not something I get to do every day in a compliance role. Uh, but I really love film noir and that that era of the amazing private eye movies uh, from that time. So this is my tribute to that. Uh, and it's a chance to to share what I do with everybody in a in a hopefully a fun and creative way. Amazing. Yeah, the, the series are really well made and interesting to follow because it, it's like a story, but I would not spoil uh, <laughs> for everyone who is about to watch them. Um, Okay, so um, the, the whole series are rotated around this investigator. Um, and what would you say describes the uh, good think crime investigators? What, what makes them different from the crowd? Sure. So I think certainly people in this field come from two different areas. So we see people coming from, you know, ex-law enforcement, uh, as well as from perhaps the financial sector. So working for a bank or something, a fintech or a crypto exchange, something like that. But really what drives us is the desire to solve a puzzle. And we're often skeptical people. So uh, we tend to love asking questions. We want to know what happened, how the person did it, and ultimately why and you know we hear um, law enforcement talk about modus operandi and what drives somebody to commit a crime uh, really once you can figure that out you can then start to predict the pattern of what's going on it's often very hard to figure out but i think uh, people in this field are not afraid to ask direct questions or to look deeper and to do whatever is necessary um, in a file to figure out what transpired Yes, I agree with you. I love asking questions and looking through the connections, like trying to find the connection. I, I think this is also something that um, really makes the good investigator. It's something that um, looks for someone who looks for these connections, right? 
Exactly. And I think I remember years ago hearing the uh, the term a dumpster diver and you hear scammers doing this where they go into a garbage dumpster and they'll pull out. They know that the person they're focused on has thrown out documents. And so they'll actually go into the, the garbage bin or the, the garbage dumpster to fish them out. But, um, you know, there are private investigators out there that are paid to put back together bags of shredded documents to try and figure out. So this you're not in this field if you're going to glaze over you need to be quite detail oriented and really want to pursue something until you find out and you solve that puzzle yes that that's true <laughs> um if we have among the listeners someone who is new or just starting in the financial crime um what would you say would be their uh, your advice to them sure so i think uh, it's it, this isn't like becoming let's say a doctor where there's already many pre-described fields with some that are you know new and emerging very much a financial crime and compliance um, evolves it evolves as a technology evolves and we get uh, new ways of providing financing but it also evolves as regulations change so um, there's great study materials online but the but because the field is so broad a great place to start is to see what aspects of the financial crime field is of interest. So some people love the policy side of compliance and we need those people to ensure rigor and fairness in the system. Um, those people tend to be very organized. They really like um, seeing the solution um, and coming to it quickly. Uh, others might gravitate to, let's say money laundering investigations at a transaction level at a bank. So while others might enjoy, let's say, corporate security investigations or those requiring a lot of interviewing and, um, you know, one-on-one -on -one, uh, interviewing styles, uh, looking at something at a transaction level can be for somebody that's more on the uh, analyzing data uh, type of skill set mm -hmm. there. Uh, but yes. you don't know, and you really don't know until you try, right? So whether it's pursuing like a financial crime, fraud, or money laundering certification, that can be a good place to start um, if somebody doesn't have, let's say, practice on the street or in the field. Um, or of course, job shadowing or um, like, like you're doing, you reach out to somebody for a coffee and you just ask them what they love and, and um, see what's interesting and try your best to read up on it. Oh yeah, and speaking of for reaching out uh, for coffee, what about your meeting space for professionals in compliance? How is that going? I know that you're organizing um, this really big events now during the COVID pandemic. Yeah, so that's something that sort of, um, it surprised me. So um, I definitely wanted to start something to get people to meet up, but it really took off. Uh, so what happened was um, with the FinCrime Investigator platform, um, I've then gone out and advertised through LinkedIn, anyone that wanted to join a virtual FinCrime pub. So there are leaders in the field uh, in Toronto and Canada and, and some around the globe that I'm familiar with, but I wanted to meet a few more and have the chance to chat. Um, with the pandemic that's going on, there's no conferences, there's no networking events. Um, and then and then training is mostly in the same format, which is like an online version pre-recorded. So, um, so I started it, we just did our third one last night. Um, we've recorded it and that will go on the FinCrime uh, YouTube channel as well. So we, last time we spoke about human trafficking, uh, we've spoken about different emerging trends during the pandemic 
And um, we've got, you know, 20, 25 people on the call. Uh, we've had people from uh, Japan, um, the, the UK. Um, basically, we've covered most continents. <laughs> and so it's really cool to hear from people uh, what's going on with their regulators, whether, whether it is one um, overseas or um, in North America for myself, and just to see how people are managing. Yes, I think this is amazing because networking is so important. And as you said, now we don't have um, the opportunity to connect live or face to face. Um, so having such uh, informal meetings, I think would be really, really beneficial for many people to join. Um, wh what do you think should be the capacity of that? H how many people you can hold? <laughs> Uh, so technically, I could. It's it's funny. There's a there's a capacity within the the meeting platform that can go up to a hundred. Mm -hmm. But um, I we've actually extended. So we started with a short format because I just wanted to test it out. It was half an hour, um, and then I had people not only people wanting to come back again, um, but they wanted the format to be longer. And so we've we've moved it oh, to wow. an hour. And I feel like an hour is still tight. And it's funny when you when you advertise a virtual fin crime pub, you're not sure what what people will gravitate to, whether it'll be more the fin crime or more the pub. And I and <laughs> but people were like, there's so many amazing sort of nerds in this field that want to get in. They just want to share. And I think at the same time as sharing trends, we miss being social. So um, I think that's the aspect that we draw there. And um, I always make sure I bring popcorn to the pub, but th there's no way to really share it across the screen. So I just try, but <laughs> that and a financial crime trend and we're good to go. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's great. Uh, and speaking of trends, um, in your observations and your experience, what do you think would be the 2020 trend in AML and compliance with everything that's going right now yeah fantastic question and i think i think had you asked me four weeks ago my answer would have been totally different same thing as it would have been different three weeks ago or even two weeks ago so um what we've seen already is that now many forms of fraud are tied with cybercrime so because there's a couple pieces here one is that many people are working from home so now instead of connecting directly to their work network they have to pass through their home network to the work network so that just adds basically another channel where there can be somebody trying to to gain access um, as well at this time people are lacking that social aspect. So it seems as though, and I'm, I'm guessing a bit here, but I know others in the field feel similar, that because we lack the social, now if we get one of those phishing emails, it's sort of like, oh, you, you're that much more vulnerable to it because you just haven't had that much human interaction. And, so, and then you feel bad. You're like, this person needs money. It is a time of crisis. Maybe it's okay. Maybe I should help them out. So I feel there's that vulnerability there. Um, yeah. But also, as far as more specific trends, we've seen credit card fraud go up significantly. So again, we have fewer people dealing in cash now. So they're they're going towards crypto and uh, credit card transactions. And um, certainly in Canada, we've seen a, a rapid increase in credit card fraud. Um, but then from the money laundering side, and also as it relates to human trafficking, it's interesting because... I think what's going to happen right now is we might not see 
as much of the money laundering that's going on, but that's for two reasons. One is because um, traffickers can't really deal in cash as much, um, mm-hmm. and so, but they still have to eventually convert that cash. So it's, it's like there's pent up um, cash waiting to be circulated into the system. And as the pandemic comes to a close, um, you know, social isolation is no longer uh, as much of a thing and people are able to resume their daily lives. I think we will see a surge there. Um, and last night when we were at our pub speaking about human trafficking, same thing, the demand for, um, you know, uh, women being trafficked in the sex trade uh, because of social isolation, there's not as much of that now. So those people might be doing other jobs, but um, as they go back and we start socializing again, that demand will, for those services um, will resume. And that's when we're going to see um, financial crime investigators having to submit a lot of suspicious transaction or suspicious activity reports because mm-hmm. it will resume um, and with you know, with a surge, um, the type of activity that we saw before the pandemic. Yes, um, that, that's totally right. I haven't thought about all the cash transactions that are currently not taking place. Probably after the social isolation time, there will be a huge surge. And what I have been reading recently about are a lot of fraud schemes involving medical equipment, such as masks or uh, ventilators that um, false uh, sellers um, yes. pretend to sell to governments, even to governments. I have been reading somewhere about the German um government making mistakes with uh, purchasing masks that never arrived. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is also another thing that is currently going on that we probably couldn't anticipate last month that that would take place uh, in terms of the fraud perspective. Mm-hmm. And, and I think mm-hmm. I often describe um, fraudsters as entrepreneurs. So they really do take on any new business. Like they're motivated to make money just like you and I are, only they're, the basis for their motivations might be different. But, you know, if, if they can't transact in cash or launder cash as they were before, mm-hmm. they might seek new methods to do that. But equally, if there's an opportunity to make money, they will pursue that. And there's such a huge demand for medical supplies that that ends up being an area of weakness where, you know, governments, um, governments are seeking them and they, they can barely keep up with demand if, if they are at all. So, um, so that, that leaves vulnerabilities and there's a lot of people profiting. Same thing, hand sanitizers. We see people making their own and selling it as if it's uh, legitimate or, or like you say, false payment schemes. So, um, so yes, a lot of that going on now. Indeed. And to conclude our conversation on a more positive note, uh, could you please share with us um, what would you like to achieve through the Fin Crime Investigator series? What is his objective? <laughs> so, um, so certainly uh, the recent uh, virtual pub nights have uh, really inspired me to go further with this. So I think it's open-ended. I love the creative aspect. Um, and I definitely, my, my goal is to do a, at least a few more episodes uh, with this stylized theme. Uh, but really it's, it's to try and share my passion for what I think is a fantastic field to be in. I think it's really interesting. Um, and if I can make 
people aware about the different schemes going on, uh, but also get people stoked for uh, to talk about financial crime. I think that would make me really happy. So um, I'm happy to share it and I look forward to the next couple episodes and another few virtual pubs. Oh, me too. Me too. More certainly. And we'll add the link to the Think Crime Investigator YouTube channel uh, so people can directly access it from the notes of the podcast. Um, just wanted to ask you, can we add something about the pub or um, it, how can people request to join the uh, virtual pub? So uh, people can reach me through either through the YouTube channel, they can message me or through um, Jennifer Ford Smith on LinkedIn. And I'm happy to, uh, to get them in on the next virtual pub that's happening. Amazing. Um, and again, thank you so much for your time today, Jennifer. Uh, wishing you a great day ahead and stay safe. Thank you so much, Denitza. This has been awesome. And this marks the end of our first episode. Hope you enjoyed our chat with Jennifer. And if you liked Compliance Time, visit our website cmpltime.com and subscribe for email updates.